0: Hi, I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to the Next Step Podcast. In this season, we're going to be focusing on search, search funds, entrepreneurship through acquisition, and all things related to that community and that ecosystem, particularly focusing on how can we build the marketplace in Australia and start to encourage more searchers to come to market and get to the point where they can own, operate their own business. In this first episode, we speak to Jake Nicholson. Jake is You could almost say, and he probably wouldn't say this, but you could almost say one of the founding fathers of search. Um, I would say that in the current generation. I mean, obviously, there have been searches around since the 80s, but Jake definitely now has a reputation globally for being one of the real experts in this space. And so what I've done in this this episode is tried to really hone in on what are the fundamentals of search with the expert himself, Jake Nicholson. So I hope you really enjoy this episode if you're interested to learn about what is search fundamentally, what is the structure and what does it look like from a searcher's perspective and a bit from an investor's perspective, then you should really enjoy this episode. And if you want to learn more, then feel free to reach out to me, reach out to Jake um, or anyone in the community because we're more than happy to um, walk people through it. Hey, Jake, how are you going? Welcome to this episode of the Next Thank Step you. Podcast. Thanks very much for coming along
1: thanks for having me
0: um so what i wanted to do today was really in the crux of this episode help people to understand what search funds are and what it means to be a searcher in that environment but before we get to that um it maybe you can help us understand a bit about how you came to where you are now uh and doing what you're doing now but a bit about your own personal search journey to help put it that in context
1: Sure. Um, thanks. Yeah. So I learned about search funds during my MBA at NCAD. I, I came to NCAD thinking I was going to do something entrepreneurial. I wanted to do something bigger and entrepreneurial. And that's about as well as I could define it pre-MBA. Um, but but during, during the MBA, uh, someone told me about search funds. Someone told me about this idea that you can go buy a company. Um, and I, I at first brushed it off thinking it was a bit fanciful and, and something out of my reach. But then I heard about it a couple more times and started to look into it. I ultimately uh, decided to partner with a professor to do an independent study project on search funds. I interviewed 30, 40 searchers out there, and I realized that this is a, a real path that that real people actually take. Uh, and I saw it as a great combination of the traditional post-MBA corporate path, um, where you can implement some real MBA type skills, uh, and the, um, more, uh, gritty, or I guess the, the more unglamorous, uh, early days startup path of living on ramen noodles in your garage for, for a couple of years, um, figuring out which chairs to buy from Ikea. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Uh, and so I, I, I decided to, to jump into it and it it turned out to be, um, the, the, the more I I've gotten into that world, that, that hypothesis has turned out to be, uh, more and more true. Um, fast forward 10 years later, uh, and I'm, I'm still working with search funds. Uh, so it's obviously caught my attention.
0: That's right. And I mean, you, you've. You were, I think, yeah, am I right in saying you were employee number one at the first search accelerator? Um, That's right. So you you tell us a bit about about
1: that. Then I then I ended up working with an NCI professor of mine, Timothy Bovard, to build and run the world's first accelerator for search funds, Search Fund Accelerator (SFA), um, and uh, ran that for a couple of years, and and now running a different platform for search fund entrepreneurs in Australia.
0: Yeah. No, fantastic. And so, you know, it, it, given that experience you've had, and I mean, it definitely, I, I think it's fair to say that you're well-recognised as being very deep in in the market um, globally, um, but also particularly given uh, your focus on Australia at the moment, have a really good understanding of how that all of those kind of models might apply to the Australian market, which is really useful for us um, in this region. You know, what do you think are the main attributes of um, the search model that um, distinguish it from other models, whether that be kind of startup VC PE, all of the other kinds of private investment um, options, what is it that really distinguishes search?
1: Yeah, so so Pete, it, to elaborate a little bit on my prior point about it being the hybrid of of startup and a corporate job, uh, it in my mind can offer the best of both worlds to the to the uh, the aspiring entrepreneur who wants to step into something meaningful make make uh make meaty decisions as a leader of people with some resources but still take ownership of 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 the company and the outcome um so in contrast to a startup uh where you don't have customers you don't have uh, a proven product you don't have um a, a product product market fit Uh, You don't really have much of a team at the beginning. Um, When you buy a a smaller mid-sized company, you have all of that. And really, the the value you're trying to create is on top of that and professionalizing the business and grinding out uh, uh, revenue growth uh, in a way that the seller might not have had appetite to or not been able to um, and making the the strategic decisions that, um, that, that you find appropriate.
0: So it's a bit like uh, a bit yeah. like in the cooking shows where they say, "Here's one we prepared earlier." It's 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 kind of you know <laughs> the, the, the startup plus. It's it's saying you know if you've got a particular appetite for a certain industry sector or a particular business type, instead of really starting from scratch, there are businesses out there that have actually jumped a few of those initial hurdles, and then you can help them scale up instead of necessarily just
1: starting up. Exactly. So in contrast to the startup probability of success of there are different numbers on this, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% or single digits, um, you're unlikely to kill this business that you've, that you've already bought. Um, the question is how much value can you add on top of what's already there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, and, and in answer to this next question, I think it's okay. And even good if you, if you get a little bit technical about, um, even a particular kind of example or, or case study, um, what does it what does the search fund model actually look like and both from an investor perspective and also from a searcher perspective like what are the actual mechanics and how does that everyone's talking about you know the opportunity for a searcher to become an owner and all this kind of stuff but what does it actually look like
1: absolutely so the, the search fund model uh, as we talk about it today is something that's uh, been in existence for 36 years um, since it was created uh, at Harvard and Stanford back in the mid 80s. Uh, And there have been hundreds of them over over time, uh, most of them in North America, but just the past five or 10 years, it's really started spreading globally. And we're we're seeing great, great traction in different corners of the earth. Um, but it still stayed fairly consistent to its, to its original form. And that involves a, a two-phase investment model where a searcher, an entrepreneur who wants to go buy and run a company, will first go to uh, a group of investors or a, a series of individual investors or family offices and raise a small amount of capital. You can think of, uh, of this as sort of seed capital uh, before that search even starts, before the entrepreneur even starts looking for a business to buy. And what that entrepreneur is saying to the investors is, "Hey, I'm going to go buy a business. It's going to be a great business. I'm a great operator. Um, give me a little, give me a little uh, capital to to go find something. And then by doing that, you're getting two benefits as an investor." You are getting, first of all, a 50% step up on that capital. And what that means is uh, essentially every dollar you invest now buys you uh, one and a half, one and a half dollars worth of, of equity in in the deal or one and a half preferred shares in the acquisition vehicle versus every dollar invested later will buy one preferred share uh, in that acquisition vehicle. uh that's part of the value to the investor, but the real value to the investor is that by participating in that first phase, that search phase, that smaller check, that investor gets right or first refusal on participating at the deal phase. So if an investor contributes up to ten contributes ten percent of the search capital, which is anywhere in Australian dollars, call it you know a few hundred thousand to a million uh, Australian dollars uh, for for the search phase. If an investor contributes 10% of that, then they have the right but not the obligation to contribute 10% of the equity capital requirement at the deal phase once once the searcher finds a deal. So that searcher will raise the search capital, search for one to two years to find a company to buy, um, go to the investors, raise the much larger check to actually fund the acquisition, the equity part of the acquisition, uh, and then then we'll also go to banks to, to finance the debt part, complete the acquisition, then step in as the new CEO of the acquired business and operate it for the foreseeable future. And so,
0: in terms of, I mean, one thing that, uh, one comment that just came to mind then that was an interesting conversation I had with someone a few days ago from an investor's point of view, the thing that they also liked about that search phase was it gives them the opportunity to learn and get to know the operator. So, that then when the deal comes around and the operator comes to them and says, right, I want you to buy business X, Y, Z, and by the way, I'm going to lead it. They, at that point, are really only assessing the deal and the business, because they've already made their assessment of the operator. They've had the chance to get to know them, even just as a character. Um, so that then at that point, they're not saying, okay, there's a deal. There's a person that's going to run it. There's all these things I need to assess. It's like, no, I know the CEO. I know what they're capable of. I know what they like to interact with. I'm just assessing whether or not this is the right vehicle for them. And that that kind of um, splitting apart the time frame from um, getting, on, getting on board with a searcher and then getting on board in the investment, that time gap was quite a benefit to them.
1: Absolutely. I've talked to investors who have said they've they've tried to engage with searchers without investing them in the search phase, but it just doesn't really happen uh, as, as well as it does when they're economically tied to that searcher for the search phase um, uh, before they make the deal. And then it's also, there's also a bit of benefit to the searcher too at the deal phase because uh, they already have investors who have who have uh, committed economically to their mission. And now, as you say, the investor only has to make a, an assessment of the deal rather than the, the the approach or the entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also, as, as as a searcher then engaging with vendors or sellers, you're much more confident about your ability ability to complete at that point because you can confidently say, yeah, I've got money behind me. It's okay. I'm, I'm capable of doing this deal. And right. so, with with the searcher then at that point in time, can you talk through what the structure looks like from their perspective in relation to equity? and carry and things because, I mean, I think a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but, but um, there's the concept of carry and 2 and 20 models and those things in private equity are relatively well-known. Um, the concept of, of kind of founder shares and, and equity carry in, in kind of startup and VC is relatively well-known. But what's the search model look like in terms of the incentivization of the searcher?
1: Yeah, so a searcher has the potential to earn a, a carried interest in in the deal um, for, the, and that can range anywhere from twenty to thirty uh, percent, depending on whether it's a partnered search or a solo search, or whether they're 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 part of an accelerator or not. Um, uh, and that typically vests in three tranches. Uh, A third upon acquisition, a third over time, and a third based on performance, usually measured by IRR. And what carried interest really means for that searcher is after the investors get their money back, then that searcher shares in in the profits going forward. So if if the searcher has vested 30% carry in the deal... Then the investors get their money back, and then every and then all the profits uh, generated by that deal going forward are split seventy percent to the to the investors and thirty percent to the searcher. And if we talk about legal mechanics, there is a bit of variability um, depending on geography. Uh, some places it's straight up equity, some places it's options, um, but usually it's some division of uh, preference shares to. Uh, ordinary shares or common shares, depending on where you are. Um, it, it, but usually, the investors have uh, have preference, preference shares or the equivalent, and the searcher has ordinary shares or the so, equivalent.
0: So, that's, I mean, w- when you put that in perspective with the other options on the table for people that might be considering search, that's quite a significant stake in a business that um, upfront, they're not having to find their own capital to deploy, right? I mean, if everything goes well for not only the searcher, but also for the investors, given those hurdles. Um, you're in a situation where, you know, five to 10 years down the track, you've got, a, you know, a meaningful stake in what at that point will be a, a relatively material business.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and even when you buy it, it might be a relatively material business, but you may have, regardless, you see when you buy it, you see an opportunity to add quite a bit of value and, um, and, and grow the business and hopefully exit at a higher multiple and a higher valuation than you than, than you bought it at. Um, and without putting in, in any of your own personal capital in most cases, uh, it's, it's in many ways a pretty good deal. Um, some people contrast it initially to a startup where you initially own 100% of the business um, that doesn't necessarily last very long uh, uh, once you go to raise raise money uh, and it eventually becomes uh, more analogous to, to, to the equity ownership in, in a surge fund, but with different um, probability of success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that probability of success is pretty important, right? Because you are buying a stable kind of cash flow positive business that's been around for a while. Um, and to, to your point earlier, it, it, you have to do quite a few things wrong to blow it up. Um, so, therefore, you, you know, you're unlikely to go to zero. Um, you might not be, you know, 10, 20x on your exit, but um, you can still get, you know, 5, 10, 15x sometimes on these. Um and with a much more risk-adjusted kind of profile on those returns, which, from an investor's point of view, um, gives you a bit more reliability in terms of those returns that you're expecting.
1: Exactly, and uh, at a portfolio level, if you look at the asset class, you know, you, you look at so Stanford uh, Graduate School of Business does a report on search funds every couple of years. Their most recent was 2020. Um, and it shows north of a 32 percent IRR on search funds as an entire asset class over the whole 35 year history and yeah, that's wow. pretty remarkable that is yeah um, and uh, and a lot of that is due to um, to due to, well a few things uh, one is uh, the 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 gap in the market the the le- the lack of competition for these smaller deals private equity really only comes down if we take australia for an example private equity really only comes down to about 5 million ebitda there are a lot of great small businesses between doing between 1 and 5 million ebitda that not many people want mm. not, not not many private equity firms want and so if you go in there Um, you're not only able to negotiate an attractive deal for yourself, but you're providing a great solution for that retiring business owner who otherwise doesn't have many options for that business.
0: I think that's a, I mean, that whole dynamic, I mean, I think also globally is something that's really driving some benefits for this model. And I think that one of the problems that, I mean, definitely private equity, I think the structures there make it difficult for businesses that are that small to, to pay off under that structure. I also think one of the challenges with businesses of that size is, the business itself isn't capable of affording the kind of capability that might be required to take it through that growth journey. And so, that's where you need this kind of equity incentive model that's coming in through search because, you know, you've got a business that's got earnings of 1.5 million. You're not going to pay the CEO a million bucks a year, right? (laughs) Um, Whereas, you know, option B for some of the people that might go into search as a searcher, option B or C might be McKinsey or Bain or GE or, you know, some other global organization where as an executive, they're going to be earning hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So, so I guess attracting them to the model, the, the equity has got to be a pretty significant part of that puzzle, I imagine.
1: Yeah, you got it, Pete. Uh, uh, investors have really liked this model for decades uh, because it provides them access to a part of the market that they normally wouldn't get efficient access to. And it generates really good returns uh, by what we've discussed already, but also by, as you mentioned, placing really high-caliber, hungry, uh, mid-career executives into companies that normally wouldn't attract this kind of talent.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And so, uh, tell us a bit more about... now, Now, let's kind of move into kind of domestically here in the australian market which you've been looking at for the last little while um tell us i mean i guess initially just what are your not exactly first impressions because you've been doing it for a little while down here but 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 what are your impressions of the australian market even compared to the us or the uk or spain or some of these more developed markets what's your view looking at australia as a market from a search fund perspective
1: yeah. So just to put things in context for, for your audience here, um, search funds as a model have been around for, for over 35 years. Um, there are probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred active search funds in the U S right now. Uh, total in Australia active right now, there are three search funds and that's three more than there were two years ago. Um, it's very early days in Australia, uh, which is, Spells great opportunity um, uh, on the face of it for prospective searchers, prospective searchers looking to buy these kinds of businesses in Australia. And then when you pair that with the demographic profile of Australia, um the, the story is very clear. You have a, a large generation of baby boomer business owners uh over 80% of whom, according to a PwC report, uh, have no succession plan. Um, and uh, most of whom really care about what happens to their business. They don't want it to die down. They don't want really to, to sell to a competitor who's going to rebrand, fire half the staff, relocate the um, the business um, and selling to a, a big financial conglomerate usually isn't an option, but if it is, it's, it's, uh, doesn't feel great. So when an entrepreneur comes along and says, um, uh, says, I, you know, I'm looking to step into your shoes and carry on your legacy, and and you know, bring your business forward. That's a really attractive option, and we're finding in Australia that 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 approach is really appealing to Australian business owners, particularly those that are at or nearing uh, retirement age. Um, if we just look at metrics, I, I won't go into specifics, but uh, r- response rates to our outreach to business owners. Are in the neighborhood of twice uh, what we see in the U.S., and, right. and we see that as indicative of, um, of of the supply and the and the the hunger for this type of solution.
0: Do you think that's also? I mean, uh, one thing I've all, always been interested in, and and um, I'll be having a chat with Enrique. I'll, I'll put a link to that separately. But you know, when when you and I and he had a chat the other day, we we're talking about kind of the cultural impact um, on the appetite for search. Um, what have you seen as the differences in, for example, the U S market, which you'd know well, and the Australian market from a cultural point of view, both in terms of, um, and, and talking kind of not only business culture, but also social culture, um, with the vendor and the searcher, you know, does that, uh, what works well in terms of their appetite for a conversation?
1: Yeah. Um, so in general, Australia is a more conservative market than, uh, than, than the United States. We, I've seen that um, on the equity side, on the debt side, uh, on the entrepreneur side, uh, on, the, on the business owner side um, and which, which provides a, a bit more friction at, at all steps, uh, than, than one would see. Certainly not as much as some, some other countries on this side of the world. Uh, but, but it's, it's there in Australia and, and we're putting the pieces together to, to make the, the, the market a, a bit more fluid right now. Um, that said, I've, I've heard people tell me, uh, including, including a couple of our current investors, uh, oh, Australian business owners are never going to sell to, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to sell. And if they do, it's not going to be to a 30 something year old uh, punk. Um, and, and that just hasn't played out in, in, in our, in our prospecting. We, when we, when, when we approach business owners, our current searcher, Rob um, has conversations with business owners regularly. And, uh, and the response is very positive. Um, not only are they reacting to his outreach, but the conversation is, is very natural and encouraging and, um, and forward-looking and hopeful, uh, so you know I, I I don't think that that more conservative um, uh, nature of of Australian culture is really is really having m- much of a negative effect on the searcher seller dynamic.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it definitely. I mean, I mean, I guess my experience was my first acquisition was when I would have been. Uh, 35, so I was mid-30s um, with my first acquisition, and and I think the dynamic, I mean, I was buying also from um, a, a baby boomer owner who was in his 60s at the time, um, and I think that dynamic's okay. I think it's also, I mean, a lot of it comes down to, which I imagine is what you work with your searchers on quite a lot, is just how those interactions play out and how to manage those interactions and develop those relationships, because it's a relationship between searcher and vendor that you build over those months that makes such a massive difference to the success of that process.
1: Absolutely. And look, it is scary uh, for for everyone involved, but particularly that that business owner who is being asked to sell their baby. And this, regardless of culture, that's a scary proposition uh, and one that has to be worked through delicately. Um, and that seller has to have confidence in the buyer buyers' ability not only to get to the finish line in a responsible professional way, but also to take care of their employees, their customers, their brand, their reputation, their legacy mm. um, for for a long time going forward. And I don't that's that's less culture dependent uh, than than some people believe I think.
0: yeah absolutely I mean ultimately it, for most of these business owners it's the biggest thing they've done. Is to create this business. It's therefore tying up almost definitely a large chunk of their wealth, um, but also a large chunk of their pride. Um, and so it's really important that you you tread um, kind of respectfully around that.
1: Absolutely, I was just teaching uh, a, an entrepreneurship through acquisition course at NCA the other day, a couple of weeks ago, and you were actually a guest. So we've, we, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to to trade places here. Um, and independently, several of my guests, some of my, several of my searcher guests, told the story of the business owner that they bought from, uh, calling them the son or daughter that they mm-hmm. never had. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were not cued. This was not prompted. Mm. This is just how, um, the, how some of these business owners, when things play out well, how some of these business owners view that relationship and, and the transition going forward.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a very critical relationship to get right. Um, right, right from the start. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, to, to then kind of pull this all together, if if I'm, you know, as you would all the time and, and, and I receive, you know, a call at least every day from someone that's interested in the model and they might be from an investor perspective or a debt or, or particularly from a searcher perspective, you know, lots of searchers or aspirational searchers will, will reach out to us and try and kind of understand what might be next for them, what would you say are the, are the first couple of steps they could take? Um, to try and understand if it's the model for them and also um, what should they do to try and move that forward.
1: Yeah. prospective searchers today are in a, a, a much uh, more advantageous position than than they were even 5, 10 years ago. There's a lot of information uh, out on the web right now. Uh, there's material you create, I create. There are other great blogs out there. There's Stanford, there's Harvard, there's ESA um, that that produce good content. There are books on entrepreneurship to acquisition that talk about search funds. Um so and there's even a, there's even a, a social network uh called searchfunder.com for, for for searchers and prospective searchers to interact and ask each other questions and motivate each other. So it's, it's quite a community now and there there are quite a few resources. And so the first thing I would say that a prospective searcher should do is take advantage of all those resources and really um, take the opportunity to educate yourself on this path. It's not a job. It's not, it's not something that you're going to apply for and then transition out of after a couple of years. It's a two year search process and then potentially a five to 10 year uh, operational period. So you, you, you better be ready to dedicate the next decade of your life. And if you're in, in your mid thirties or somewhere thereabouts, uh, you know, this is the prime of your career. So you, you want to, you want to be careful uh, and, and make sure that you know what you're going into. Um, so that's the first step. Uh, and, and then, and, and part of that process, by the way, is talking to other, other searchers, um, Try your best to find those who, who have succeeded, some who have failed, some who have taken different paths to, to entrepreneurship through acquisition. Even within search funds, there are different options for uh, for a searcher to take. So figure out which path would be most appropriate for you. Um, and then the traditional steps are to uh, create a PPM, a private placement memorandum that outlines what you're going to do, what industries you're going to go after, who, who you are, what the terms of your deal are. Um, and, uh, and then you, you bring that to, to investors and try to raise that initial search capital, but there's a lot of upfront work the, the, the cycle I typically see from when someone discovers the search fund model to actually, to actually deciding to, to launch a search fund is usually in the, you know, six to 12 months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a real journey to, to um, make yourself aware of exactly what this means. And like you say, it's it's a big life decision. You know, you're taking a good decade or more of your life and you're saying, I'm going to get dedicated to this thing. Um, so, it's not only you, it's your family and your partner and other people that are going to be involved. So, it's, it's a really important decision to make. And I think, you know, we didn't touch on it a lot... Um, during um, the rest of the conversation. But one thing that just stood out to me then when you were talking about it, with that investor group, that's another really important group for you to curate. Um, You know, one of the great things about the search model is the fact that the investors are also your mentor group. Um, And so effectively, almost in a strange way, recruiting your investors um, to a point where you're saying, I I need people with these kinds of skill sets and I need this kind of support framework around me is a really useful thing to do.
1: Yeah, and recruiting and selecting. Uh, in, in, most prospective searchers are most concerned about raising the capital, about w- whether they can raise the capital. Um, if uh, What I would say is if you as a prospective searcher uh, are a skilled operator, manager, and leader and have some, uh, some sales ability, you're going to be able to raise the capital. Um, what you need to worry more about is raising capital from the right people. Um, you have a choice. There are far more in- investors interested in search funds today than there were a decade ago um, and and uh, and around the world. Um, so it's it, 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 take your time and and surround yourself with the right people
0: that's fantastic well on, on that note we might we might wrap up this episode but thank you so much for your time jake it's um really great to have your insights given your breadth of experience in this space um and also the fact that you're working so heavily in the australian market which is something that i'm i'm passionate about growing here so thanks for your time um really appreciate it and i'll speak to you soon thanks pete that was fun cool. let's do it again Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please jump onto LinkedIn and find the group Search and ETA Australasia. You can also send me a direct message and I'd be keen to
1: connect.